Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. This was one of my favorite episodes so far. Um, we had Mr. James on the podcast. If you don't know who Mr. James is, you'll learn about him here on the podcast. He's probably one of the, the forefathers of what we do today, uh, bow hunting. Um, he's the founder of Bow Hunter Magazine. Um, has a lifetime full of accomplishments and uh, some great stories. So, before we get started, I got to thank some of my partners. Um, the first one being Stealth Outdoors. Um, Right now is a great time to um, get your gear ready for season. Make sure you're ahead of that. And there's pretty much uh, no more important gear uh, than stealth strips to put on your your stands, your sticks, whatever you need to um, quiet things down. So go to stealthoutdoors.com and get yourself some stealth strips. Also, before we kick off the episode today, we have a really awesome deal from my friends at, at Exodus if you're somebody that's been following Nexus brand over the last several years and have been hung up on trying one of their reliable, dependable, and borderline bullproof trail cameras, then they have a special campaign just for you this uh, this month. Starting right now until June 13th, use code YEAR7, that's a one word, and the 7 is the number 7, YEAR7, to save 20% off the entire Exodus website. That includes a borderline bulletproof Exodus render, any render bundles, and the SP18 solar panel, and any of the merch. They got a lot of cool looking merch on their website. And that solar panel, man, it it'll uh, keep that battery charged on your um, on your camera for as long as uh, as long as you want it out there. In case you're not familiar with the the product line, the Exodus render is a Verizon 4G uh, LTE camera and provides some of the fastest transmission times in the entire industry. And on top of that, it's about as user-friendly as it gets and just flat-out works when it matters most. Also, if you're not familiar with some of the other things, like that, that's a benefit to buying an Exodus product, um, I'll tell you uh, these kind of three things. Uh, there's a five-year no BS warranty, five-year theft and damage protection, and best in-class customer service. Now's the time to experience the Exodus Render. Do yourself a favor and start running the most dependable Exodus Render cell camera. Over the last seven years, Exodus has consistently shown they build quality products that flat out work. And now they're very excited to announce a new limited product offering for archery hunters. But you'll have to sign up for the Exodus newsletter to learn the details. Head to the website at exodusoutdoorgear.com and give the Exodus guys some support and be sure to lock in those savings. Year 7, get you 20% off. All right, let's get into the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, how's it going, Dan? Good. How are you doing? Good. Good. Um, same old, same old. Just uh, tinking away here and... Um, just working this spring. That's pretty much what I do in the spring so I can hunt in the fall. Um, yeah, so every day. Work yeah. all day. Yep. Yep, yep. Well, the daylight's uh, good. Got to get it in. Uh, housekeeping things, everybody. If you're new to uh, the show, you can um, join in the conversation on the, the right side of your screen or at the bottom if you're on a, a phone in the comment section. Leave your questions in there, and we'll try to, try to answer them at the end of the, the show. If you want to call in and talk to us live on the show, if you got a question for me or Dan or, or uh, MR, uh, the guest today, 
uh, I will I will put a link to get into the show in the comments whenever the Q and A pops up. Uh, so you just have to click on that link or or copy and paste it into your browser, and that'll that'll let you, let you into the show, and then I'll I'll bring you up. Uh, what else? If you if you um, haven't subscribed, make sure you uh, subscribe to the channel if you like what we're we're doing. And thanks for getting on, everybody. It's going to be a good episode. It's going to be a fun one. So, um, yeah, Dan, you guys are done turkey hunting now, right? Yeah, yep. We ended up uh, a couple days ago. Yeah. I ended up with two. I didn't shoot my last one. I could have shot yeah. Jake the last day. I didn't want to shoot Jake. Yeah. Might as well not if you got you already got two birds down. No no real good reason to. But yeah, I uh you were doing a food plot whenever uh you got on here, it sounded like. Yeah. Down by your just down in your backyard essentially. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah I I mowed my clover plot finally on Saturday, Sunday, Sunday. Yeah. Um, the farmer's going to let me keep that clover plot at least for this year before he, you know, mows it all down and makes it into his crop field. But so I was trying to maintain it. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I, I almost let it get too tall, I think, but I got it mowed. So surely it'll come back. Um, yeah. We got a good guest today. Um, MR is down down at the bottom, uh, waiting waiting to get in here. So uh, I'm gonna gonna bring MR MR James in. One second here. Can you hear us, MR? Hey guys. Hey. So, um, MR, you uh, you've been around for for a while now in the bow hunting world. And I'm sure a lot of people on the show today probably know who you are, but there's probably a, quite a few that don't either. So what I was going to uh, have you do starting off here is just uh, tell us who Mr. James is and and how um, how you kind of started in, in the the hunting industry or the hunting world. Well, I've always hunted. I grew up uh, Southern Illinois, uh, hunting squirrels and rabbits and quail and it's a typical upland birds and animals uh got into bow hunting when i was a kid i just liked to shoot a bow uh, this was of course back when there weren't any thing but uh, either long bows or self bows or recurves and in uh, 1960 62 or three i, I started dabbling in hunting deer I didn't know anything about it. I mean, I'd, what I'd read in books, but uh, uh, trial and error, getting out there, walking around, hunting pretty much like you hunt rabbits, uh, hoping to kick something up and uh, be able to follow it and get a shot, you know, how naive you are at the beginning. But I learned uh, in a hurry in uh, 1963, uh, I killed my first white-tailed deer. I hunted all of 70 one and didn't see a deer in Illinois hmm. or Indiana. Uh, stuck to it though, got into like a, stumbling into a covey of quail. I right at the end of the season bumped into a half a dozen does and fawns. And what did I know to do except following them? I mean, those were the first deer I'd seen and I figured I'd 
walk them down if nothing else. <laughs> you know how that went. But I actually stumbled into a nice six-point buck who was so drunk with lust for this hot doe he was with, he completely ignored me, let me get within about 25 yards, and I actually shot him. Hmm. And that started 60, 70 plus years of uh, bow hunting. Uh, he was the first six point buck to make the Pope and Young record book. Really? That. I mean, just you talk about a blind pig finding an acorn. <laughs> uh, I, I couldn't believe my good fortune. And that hooked me for life. I mean, it just, you, you know, come on, guys. Uh, you don't have that kind of luck. Yeah. But it, one thing led to another. I've always been a writer. I started writing uh, uh, short stories. I, I wrote believe it or not, murder mysteries and crime fiction for the pulp fiction market back when the things were booming. I, I killed a lot of people, too, uh, on paper anyway. <laughs> yeah. And I loved writing. But I also got into, when I shot that deer, I wrote a story for uh, Archery Magazine, Roy Hoff, uh, the editor of Archery. And he paid me, I think it was 50 or $60 for that story. And that kind of got me hooked there, too. And I've written, oh, geez, I think I've written 12, 13 books now and God knows how many magazine features uh, written for their outdoor life, sports to field, the big magazines. But I started Bowhunter Magazine in 1963, and the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah. So, oh, so, so Bowhunter Magazine started in the 60s then. Well, it, it, it started in 71, but I killed okay. that buck in, in 63. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. story appeared in Archery Magazine in, I think it was 65, 64, 65. And I killed my first uh, mule deer. I went out to Colorado. Couldn't get anyone to go with me, so I drove out there by myself. Uh, hunted an hour and a half opening day, killed a three-by-three three mule deer. Shot him through the heart at 40 yards, I was shooting competition, uh, using a Pearson Knight, about a 45-pound Pearson Knight, bare razor heads, uh, wood arrows, uh, and, you know, the good Lord, I guess, blesses those that don't know what they're doing. <laughs> That's when I got, uh, got off to a good start, sold, a, sold that story to, uh, to Archery Magazine as well. And I started writing for, you know, I gotta say the the big three, uh, sports field, outdoor life, and uh, uh, field of stream. But I also wrote for uh, fur fishing game. That was a popular magazine back then. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I did a number of features for that uh, about bow hunting, and that led to eventually me saying, "Hey, there is no one magazine that is a hundred percent bow hunting." And in uh, sixty, oh, in seventy one, uh, we three friends and I launched a publishing company. And, uh, Bowhunter magazine, the first copy came out, and it just the timing was perfect. Uh, a lot of people were interested, and uh, we got so much positive feedback and. Uh, 
as I say, the rest uh, kind of is history. We just yeah. marked the 50th anniversary issue this past year, and uh, I looked a hell of a lot younger back in those days, but uh, <laughs> still get around pretty good for the geezer. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so 62 is when you kind of started deer hunting then. What what were like the rules or regulations back then for, for, for deer hunting? Do you remember? Well, yeah. Uh, I think the minimum draw weight was 35 pounds. Uh, there weren't any compounds, of course. Uh, I shot fiberglass arrows. I shot metal arrows. I shot wood arrows. I like heavy arrows. I always have. I don't like these little toothpick straw uh, arrows. I like something that packs a wall up. All the broadheads I shoot are basically 100, uh, 125 to 140 some uh, grains. And multiple blades. I like sharpening my own heads. Uh, I've killed a number of animals with uh, replaceable blade heads and with a fixed blade and uh, razor inserts, but I still like doing it myself. I like sharpening and being able to shave hair off my arm. And I look like I've got the mange at the end of hunting season, <laughs> sharpening. And, uh, but uh, it's it's a passion, and I just I yeah. just love it. I still do it. Uh, the last three years here on the farm, I've killed I've killed three three bucks, uh, including one that I took with friends recurve. Uh, my late friend, Dr. Chuck Williams, who was my dentist in Montana, and a great friend, Pope and Young, fellow member. Uh, when he passed away, uh, his family gave me his recurve and said, would you please kill a buck with it uh, for yeah. Chuck's memory? And I did that here on the farm year before last. Killed a pretty nice, uh, nice 10 point. And uh, just, again, the good Lord smiles on me for, for reasons <laughs> known only to him. And I, I, I just have led an amazingly, surprisingly successful bow hunting life. And uh, I just, I still have to pinch myself now and then. Yeah, you have uh, for sure done that and more. Um, I wanted to ask you, because, so me and Dan are kind of in that, the media world and hunting really, whether we like it or not, mm -hmm. um, you know, here on the youtube platform um, right. and on the internet and sometimes you know we get like negative feedback you know like we get oh, yeah. st we get stuff that uh is hateful towards us or you know can't believe mm -hmm. we're telling people tips or tricks or um yeah. this or that and did you ever get any of that when you started bow hunter magazine like was there anybody that kind of like was like not okay oh, yeah, with us get, talking about hunting and you know the hunter haters are, are crazy I've, I've had death threats and all this sort of thing uh, i tell them they better uh, bring their lunch and be ready to find someone that shoots back so yeah it uh, it doesn't bother me it goes with the territory there's a lot of good people out there and you have the crackpots uh i don't take any guff and I debate, I've debated some of the big anti-hunters. Uh, I could name names, but I won't, don't want to give them any more yeah, credit yeah. than I already get. And I just present my case and uh, the good Lord created the beasts and the birds for human consumption. 
and they can they're too they believe it's like Walt Disney World out there with Bambi and Thumper and uh, Flower and all these animals mm-hmm. that talk to each other uh, they do talk to each other but it's not the kind of uh, talking that, uh, that we do and I just ignore them pretty much uh, yeah. and, and, and speak my piece and I have a lot more people supporting me than, uh, than I hate my guts. Right. You just, you know, a lot of people just hear that noise from the people that are uh, haters and they yeah. don't realize how many people actually support what they do and love what they do because the supporters are generally quiet. It's the haters that make the noise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, the yeah, haters, I-, just, I think they like to talk to hear their heads rattle and uh, <laughs> they've got to say something and making themselves to be big, bad uh, animal rightists and that sort of thing. And uh, uh, let them do their thing and I do mine. And if uh, they get in my way, I just uh, take it in stride. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, we, we have that. And then we also have even just inside of the hunting community, you have some bickering back and forth and, and oh. this and that. And that, that's probably the most frustrating uh, frustrating ones, you know. Yeah, we're all on the uh, same side, but uh, mm-hmm. you, you don't know it at times. And uh, people, by God, their way is the only way, and uh, they won't use this equipment or won't use that equipment. Yep. And it just, you know, it makes you sick. But you do your thing, and I do mine, and uh, we make the most of uh, the time we have in the woods. That's right. Whatever makes you happy out there, and you're having fun. Mm-hmm. and as long as you're doing it legally and all that, then more, more power to you. Um, yeah, that's, that's one of my biggest like problems with, with, uh, the hunting world is whenever they start to do this over things that don't matter, you know, whether it be of shooting a traditional bow or a compound or a crossbow Mm -hmm. or what a rifle, whatever you want to go down the line. Mm -hmm. It's like, Man, we don't, there's not enough of us around anymore anyway, let alone if we're going to be hate, hateful inside of our own, world you know it's like man it's not going to last forever if that's the case well we can be legislated out of existence and we know that just like uh, just like this i mean it could happen next year if if the right scenarios popped up um that's pretty gives you a kind of a bad feeling in your stomach when you think about that and then you get online and see some you know hateful stuff inside of groups of Mm -hmm. hunters per se Mm -hmm. um yeah, I just well, I get a lot of talks around the country and uh, talk to probably every state organization there is from coast to coast and most of Canada. And I tell people we're our own worst enemy at times. We just yeah. do stupid things and we create issues that we don't really need to create. And if we don't work together for conservation and the future of hunting, uh, we can be eliminated. Mm-hmm. This world is always getting one step further away from the natural world. and uh, That's sad uh, that people don't know what they're missing by not uh, being out there and watching nature do her thing. Yeah. And I, and I'm obviously fairly young still. And I just, you know, I got a lot of years left in my, my life. Hopefully, hopefully, you know, good, the good Lord willing. And I just can't, you know, could you imagine MR if when you were 30 years old, what, you know, and they told you, you nobody could hunt anymore. Like what, you know, who would you be? You know, I, it'd right. be hard to, it'd be hard to keep going, you know, 
or you know, I, I guess you know what I mean. <laughs> I have to like, find a better. That's like telling you you can't be a man no more. I mean, a hunter is who I am. It's, yeah, it's, it's my person. You know, um, yeah, it's who I am. But you can't force anyone to be a hunter. I've got. I had uh, my oldest son died, died of cancer. He was not a hunter, but uh, my middle son, Dave, he lives uh, in Montana. Uh, his son now has taken up the mantle. And uh, so there's going to be a James chasing critters for a long, long time. Oh, that's good. I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, You're always an icon for me. Um, I grew up in the uh, 70s and 80s. Uh, hunting and uh back then there were very few big hunters and uh you know you were one um uh, miles keller was rising up um mm-hmm. y- you know a bunch of others but but you're one of those icons from back then and i really appreciate you coming on the show and and uh really look up to you well thank you it's a pleasure dan uh i'd say i can't i have to pinch myself at times uh i met uh Fred Bear for the first time in 1972 at a Pope and Young Club convention. And it just so happened that uh, they were looking for an editor for their first big game record book. And I said, I happen to know an editor that uh, <laughs> might, might be interested. And, uh, so I got to work with Fred and Glenn St. Charles, who founded the Pope and Young Club, and Jim Doherty, and all the guys that uh, I, I looked up to as idols. And just to, to meet these guys and to work with them and to be accepted by them as one of the, uh, one of the guys, uh, that, that just meant so much to me. And I, I still have a hard time believing, uh, looking at some of the old pictures of uh, me doing things with, uh, with Fred and uh, Glenn and all those guys that uh, were my heroes. I follow you on uh, Facebook, and uh, as you know, and I, I watch your articles that you write, uh, and I, I love your old pictures when you post them. Those stories that yeah, go those are neat. Yeah. Well, there's there's no truth to the rumor that Matthew Brady, the Civil War photographer, took a lot of my early pictures and my hunts. <laughs> that's that's uh, hyperbole. Don't don't believe it. But <laughs> yeah, we yeah we did have a long way to come with cameras and i remember those early days and it just <laughs> makes you laugh now mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah if, if anybody on here doesn't follow mr on, on facebook it's just uh it's just mr james and you could he uh i like i like to follow you because of everything dan said but also like in indiana you almost do a daily update on what your the deer herd's doing because you're, you're out and about every day almost aren't you MR, right right check on things yeah during hunting season I've done this for probably, I don't know, 10 years or more where I just give a daily account. I take pictures. Uh, I've so far this year, I think I've taken seven, 8,000 pictures here on the farm of, of deer and turkeys. And during hunting season, I, I take the person along. I show them the bucks I'm passing up. I show them the ones I'm looking for. And the last few years, I say the good Lord smiled down and uh, I've taken three really good bucks in, in the past three years, that one with my friend's recurve, which was just super special. I, I couldn't have yeah. written, I couldn't have written it any better 
the way it turned out to, to, to get a buck like that because Chuck, he was a special guy and uh, loved, loved him. And he was one of the nicest hunters uh, that I've ever, ever had the pleasure to, to get to know and hunt with. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's almost like, I mean, you're with, with MR's uh, Facebook page, you, you almost follow along with, you know, it's almost like watching a, watching a series. I mean, you just follow along with what's going on in, in his farm throughout the year and get you updates on the rut and what's chasing mm-hmm. and not chasing. And then all the way up to shed season. I mean, you all, you even give updates on, you know, oh, about so, you know, so many deer still holding their antlers and this one's dropped. And I mean, it's pretty detailed, pretty good stuff. Yeah, I just um, saw the first fawn of the year a couple of days yep. ago, and I'm waiting like a proud papa. I got cigars already to hand out to <laughs> for seeing these fawns pop up. And uh, uh-huh. it, we've had such rotten rain and stuff that uh, I'm not really surprised. And they're just, I'm still seeing quite a few pregnant does, but uh, it's that time of year, and I, I just I can't take enough pictures of, of the youngsters. I, I just, yeah. Don't. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned Fred bear earlier, MR and, and I've sat around a whole bunch of campfires now. And a lot of times people ask, you know, who, who, uh, one person you could hunt with. And a lot of people say Fred bear. So what was Fred bear like? He was um, a neat guy. He was, he was funny. He, uh, he liked to tell stories. He liked to, he, he was the center of attention and he's just, he was so human. Uh, he, he was not pretentious. He was just a humble individual. Uh, I've got some things of his that uh, I just treasure because of the memories that, uh, that came along with it. But he would tell, he would tell jokes uh, on himself. I mean, he just, he was self-deprecating and just, he he'd laugh when he was he had uh, to carry a uh, oxygen tank in his last two years yeah. of life, and he he just joke he'd say yeah I got you guys fooled you think this is oxygen in here it's really peppermint schnapps. <laughs> just make then he'd come up to he he loved the ladies and he he you know he was he was uh, not uh, the most handsome individual but he was just a likable guy and he would come up to and he he'd come up to my wife Janet or, or some other girl and he'd say put his arm around him and say you want to have your picture taken with me and just laugh and (laughs) that was him and he was so modest and but here's the probably one of the greatest uh men responsible for the popularity of bow hunting in the country and uh just hated to to see see him uh fade away yeah you hear all kinds of stories about him and and whatnot but you don't meet very many people that actually know him um so that's that's pretty cool, for sure. I've got a uh, plaque here in my office that he sent me a picture signed. It shows him with uh, standing there with a uh, just a uh, average moose. He said, in fact, he wrote on it. He said, "Not much of a trophy, Mr., but most welcome in a meatless camp." 
and that was just that was Fred. I mean, that, he he kills some tremendous animals, trophy class animals, but uh, still, uh, he was just he he'd sit down and talk to anybody, and yeah. I never saw him upset. I never saw him lose his cool. He just he was a, just the right person at the right time to spread the gospel of bow hunting. Yep. I've heard that from any, you know, anybody that has met him or knew him said the same thing about him. So, mm-hmm. um, which is good to hear. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that he's definitely a, a staple in the, in the bow, bow hunting world. And if you're a bow hunter, you know who Fred Bear is. Yeah. Um, so you, we were talking me, you and Dan were talking before the show started. You mentioned you've hunted in over 40 States now and, bunch of whole bunch up in canada um so how many how many species of of game have you taken over your years uh i think of the 29 north american species i've taken 22 oh well you're real close you might as well go ahead and finish them off yeah i'll tell you a little quick story about that (laughs) this is a year or so ago but i said to janet i said you know I'm not getting any younger, and if I'm going to finish that Super Slam, <laughs> excuse me, I better uh, I better get after it. Uh, I said, uh, you know, those mountains are getting a little higher. I said, let me do some checking, and I'll see what it would take me to finish up, get the last species. And I did a little research, and I came back to Janet, and I said, uh, you know, uh, if I were to budget the money that it will cost me to finish the Super Slam. I think I can get by for about $550,000. <laughs> and yeah. there was this long silence. And she kind of looked at me and said, you don't really need to finish that Super Slam, do you? And I said, no, nah, I don't think so. But it is, we're at the point now where I've got, I've taken two sheep, but and I think I paid thirteen thousand dollars for one of my sheep hunts. I don't remember what I paid for. Oh, I, I do. I, I drew a license in Colorado and killed a bighorn ram there. So that didn't cost much. And say twelve, thirteen thousand dollars for that stone sheep hunt. But you'd go after desert bighorn. You'd go after uh, doll, stone. You're talking, you know, upwards of seventy-five to one hundred and ten thousand dollars just for the hunt. Yeah, and it's it's not a it's not a poor man's game, and uh, you know, there's there's a number of people, friends of mine, good friends of mine, who who completed the Super Slam. Chuck uh, Adams, of course, was was the first one. But uh, times have changed, and Chuck did so much of it on his own before prices got out of hand. And it's it's yeah. just crazy. Yeah, I uh, I've talked to a lot of you know people that are older than me about hunts in general, not necessarily the Super Slam, just about man, I'd like to go on a goat hunt sometime, and mm-hmm. and um, you know, they're just like, well, your best bet is just to start saving now, and then end up going later, you know, and there's almost no point in, um, you know, putting in points and all that stuff anymore. Cause it's the, the point creep and all that. So, um, so drastic anymore. And it's uh, tough. 
Mm-hmm. And the amount of money you're spending over those years trying to draw points, you could have just you know paid to go up to Canada yeah. or someplace to hunt. Part them. of my background was that I was doing this at a time I drew two mountain goat uh, tags when I lived in uh, in uh, Montana. Uh, I drew one in the Bob Marshall Wilderness and killed a nice billy there. I also drew a, uh, a goat tag down in uh, in the only non-resident Wyoming unit, and I killed a goat there. So those were essentially just the expense of gasoline and paying right. for the license and drawing it. Uh, but I didn't have nearly the competition. Yeah. Same thing with that that goat light or bighorn sheep tag, uh, I just put in and happened to draw. And <laughs> a friend of mine, Mark Plinky, is one of the top sheep guys in the country. And yeah. he uh, he said, come on down. And uh, he had a cabin in my hunt unit where I'd drawn. And he and I and a friend of mine from Montana uh, hunted, uh, I guess, Hunted uh, half a day, and I killed a record book bighorn. Spotted yeah. him with four other three-quarter curl rams, and uh, made a stock. And it rained, and they went into some brush, and I got up within thirty yards of the brush. And when they stuck their nose out, I shot one of them, and my hunt was over with in half a day. Uh, that just that doesn't happen, and I almost am ashamed to to say it, but that makes up hunts like that make up for the hours and days and weeks and months and years of trying to get a particular animal and not doing it. So, it's a, sometimes it's, a, a layup's a w- welcome. <laughs> yeah. The late Dwight Shoes is a very good friend of mine. One of my favorite bow hunters of all time. Uh, I got to induct him into the archery hall of fame last week in, in Springfield, Missouri. And Dwight uh, came to me. He was working for me at Bowhunter, and he wanted to go on a doll sheep hunt up in uh, Alaska. And I said, "Well, why don't you fly up on Saturday, shoot your goat on or your ram on Sunday, fly back home, and you'll only miss maybe two days of work." And He, he didn't know whether to take me serious or not, but I just had, have to have fun with guys like that. And he, he, he went ahead. He, he, killed, uh, uh, he killed several sheep with his bow, and just he, he's another class act, and I just can't say enough about him. He was the man that I picked to replace me as a bow hunter editor when, uh, oh. uh, when I stepped down after 35 years. I was at a... Um... I was at a, a turkey hunt in Ohio a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we were all sitting around the campfire one night, and somebody started going around. We were talking about who we'd want to hunt with, if it, one person, you know, and uh, a gentleman by the name of Tom Klum. I don't know if you know him or not, but uh, he owns Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear, which is like a real large bow mm-hmm. uh, shop in Colorado and Denver. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned, uh, he mentioned Marv Klinky as one of his guys he'd like to go hunt with. I think he, I think he lives out there by him or something. He's a legend in, in Colorado. Yep. He's just he knows more about sheep than, yep. than goats and than any ten people I know. He's a class act, and I've known him for 
40 plus years. Mm-hmm. He's a photographer too. And uh, back the first copies of Bowhunter Magazine, Marv uh, had a couple of uh, cover pictures of, uh, from his hunts. But that's that's been one of the blessings in my life is getting to meet so many people who are fairly well known and uh, most of them are just great guys. I mean, uh, yeah. there's always, it seems, one guy that's uh, a pain in the butt, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the exception. Oh, yeah. I just consider myself really blessed. Yeah. Have you uh, kept track of uh, how many Pope and Young animals you've taken? I did once upon a time. Uh, I entered a number back in the day when the minimums were, were low. I mean, I'm talking pronghorn antelope, for example, and I don't know how many pronghorns I killed and put in the book, but uh, uh, they kept raising the minimum and I got away from, from Palmer. I honestly don't know. Uh, I imagine well, you could look at Pope and Young Records. And I don't enter all of my animals simply because to get another certificate, mm-hmm. I'd like to support the club and I do it in different ways, but just have another certificate and a page in the book. I, I don't know. I've, I think I've taken, well, I know I've taken uh, 50 to 75 over the years or more. I, I don't, I honestly don't know. That, that's not that yeah. important to me. Yeah. I, I, uh, I have a friend here that lives next to me. He's really involved in the Pope and Young. It's, I think, Alan Clark. Um, and I, I asked him one day, I'm like, why? Because, uh, you know, I, I used to not really understand it. Like, I'm like, what? what's the point of, of, you know, being involved in something like that or mm-hmm. uh, being a member and this and that? And he goes, well, it's, you know, he, he his point was, it's just the connections you make and the friends you make. He's right. like, it's not really about the animals or the score. And that this, it's like going and, you know, having a common interest with other people. And then, you know, he's like, I've, I've went on dozens and dozens of hunts because I was a member of, uh, the Pope and Young, and I know because because of so and so from Montana is a member of the Pope and mm-hmm. Young, and we got together, and all of a sudden I'm at his house hunting with him, you know. Right. And that's right. you know that's why he he joins and and stays it's, involved. It's with a him. great networking association, and I admire what they do to help the species. That's part of it too. The money that uh, is raised from license fees uh, is put to good use. It's not just an ego thing. It is with some people. I mean, you can't yeah. get away from that. But by the same token, most of the guys that I know through Pope and Young, and I was, I served on the board for 25 years. I was president for, I think, three terms, if I remember right. Uh, that those were good days and yeah. good people and i really enjoy that uh, that facet of my life yep for sure yeah i think there's some people that um yeah the, the pope and young has uh you know some people have it in their heads that it's like an elitist group and then there mm-hmm. there's some people that use it in a a manner like you were talking about where it's just more of a hey i want to go out and and meet these people that are into bow hunting and and you right. know be involved with it. So 
guess is however you look at well, it. It's a good group. Yeah. And I'm still 100% in favor of supporting it and will as long as I'm I'm living. And I've also made arrangements in my will to uh, to continue to support uh, the club with uh, uh, yeah. something yeah, to, sure. to remember me by. Yeah, right. There you go. Um, so you, uh, you mentioned going on that, uh, the sheep hunt and, and Fred bear. Is there a, is there a certain hunt that you, is your favorite you went on that you could tell us about? Well, <laughs> yeah. When, when people ask me what's the most, uh, memorable hunt I ever went on, it was a, uh, caribou hunt in the Northwest territories, uh, uh, took my son, Dave, his wife, and my wife Janet and we went up to uh, Northwest Territories, fished, got up there before caribou season. Uh, then David never killed a caribou. I'd been up there a number of times and killed several bulls up there. It was a good, good place. But uh, the first day, in, in we were out there on the tundra. I killed a. We were eating lunch. We took a break. We were setting up on a windswept knoll. Uh, no, the uh, black flies were horrible. The caribou were running like crazy. Clouds of insects all around them. And then we ate lunch, and a, a bull that had been running back and forth ran up and ran past us in the rocks. I got my bow and made a little stout and shot him. And so I took him back to the uh, boat to guide and I packed the meat and the horns and the cape and everything. And it was about two or three miles back to the boat, the edge of the lake, packed back. And when uh, I was gone, Dave, my son, spotted another bull. He made a stop and killed it. And they were just getting ready to dress it when uh, I uh, got back. And Leon was Dave's guide, and he was getting ready to dress the animal. Those guys can do such a fast job and I mean they this is what they do well anyway while he was skinning out a leg he came to a point where there was a little gristle and he went like this and he stabbed himself in the groin and cut the femoral artery and here we are 100 miles from Yellowknife from the nearest hospital or a float plane ride from you know it's uh, 100 plus miles plus getting them back across the tundra, across the lake to camp. And each time his heart beat, he was squirting out a stream of blood about a foot and a half long. And instantly, his, he was wearing white coveralls, and instantly just soaked in red. And uh, I just figured he was dead. I, I, I killed him bull elk in Montana or in uh, New Mexico the year before and I cut its femoral artery and here's a 800-900 pound bull and it didn't make it 100 yards and bled out. Well, make a long story short, I managed to get a tourniquet on, on Leon's leg. Uh, we called camp and it just so happened a float plane had dropped off supplies and they said they would come back if we could get him but we were two or three miles from the boat. Leon was a big kid, and to try to carry him across the spongy tundra just wasn't going to work. 
But anyway, um, Kinnicut Diamond Mining Operation had a camp maybe 90 miles north of us, and they heard our SOS broadcast. And they said, uh, we've got a chopper here in camp. We'll fly down and uh, we can land and get him back to camp if you got a plane that can get him to Yellowknife. And so the good Lord was, was looking out and we got him back to camp and they rushed him to the hospital and he passed out just as the plane was landing. And the doctor said he wouldn't have made it if it had been much longer. But we did save his life and he... Uh, he uh, was waiting in the hospital when we stopped to visit him before we went back to, to Montana. And he was very appreciative. And uh, But that's the sort of thing that just the gods were looking out for him and for us. And that was the most unforgettable bow hunt I've ever made in, in 60 plus years of, of bow hunting. And uh, just by the grace of God, he didn't uh, he didn't bleed out. That's, That's an incredible hunt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, not, and not in a way I thought you were going to tell a story, you know. <laughs> yeah, you had to really be terrified there for a while, and but then so gracious that you're actually able to save him because I think the odds of saving somebody that got stuck in the femoral artery that far out is oh yeah, it's a million to one. Yeah, yeah, but it just. Like I said, the good Lord, had, the cut was low enough that I could get it between his crotch and, and shut off the blood supply. And the plane just happened to be coming back. And then that helicopter saved him. And my uh, daughter-in-law flew down with him to, to the hospital and spent time down there and then came back the next day. And yep. Leon... Uh, the, two years later, the guy from uh, the camp was, uh, stopped by my place in Montana, and he wanted to know if he could come out and said, sure. And anyway, he had a package, and he said, this is from Leon. And I said, oh. And I opened it up, and it's his master guide badge, and he just had a note in there that said, thanks again. And I've got that along with some of my special uh, memories in, in one of my display cases. Uh, That's neat. You don't forget things like that. No, no. Um, and that's something that, like, nowadays, it'd be hard-pressed to find someone that knows how to use a tournament kit. Um, yeah, so thank God you were, you know, educated enough to do that uh, for him, yeah. you know. And my daughter-in-law is a teacher, and of course she knew first aid, and I'd had first aid classes, and so it wasn't like we were just groping around trying to save his life. We knew what what it took, and uh, it just uh, grace God. And yep. you yeah, yeah. You, you, you never forget anything like that. I heard a uh, comedian the other day. I listened to something I can't remember, but he said. Uh, the good Lord just wants some of us back and some of us he don't want back. So <laughs> that was about right. the, sounds right. like that was the case with your, your, uh, your friend there. Didn't want his time to come back. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to ask you too, MR. So, um, that was your favorite hunt. Is there a, is there a person that you, uh, you could tell us about that was either famous or neat that you got to hunt with that you enjoyed hunting with? 
I'll, I'll give yeah. you an example. I'll give you an example real quick. Uh, we had a, uh, a guy on the podcast and he, he hunted with Ted Nugent once and he told us that story. And, um, <laughs> Ted, uh, Ted and I go way back. Uh, we, he, he, the Anderson archery clinics back in the seventies and eighties, uh, Ted, course lived in Michigan and he'd come down for that and I got to know him there and we became buddies uh, of sorts he's Ted's just they call him the Motor City Madman with good reason and uh, he uh, uh, he came and spent I told him if you're ever playing the state fair in in Montana and want to come up to Flathead Valley come on up bring Shemaine and Rocco and come up and spend a few days with us and so he did he called me from great falls and said you're coming up but ted ted and i have kind of a love hate uh, uh, music uh, i'm not into cat scratch fever i told him if i had that would probably be the end of, uh, of it but uh, and of course he i'm i'm into country and uh, he's he's not a big big country fan, but we get along just fine. But he is uh, he is crazy man, and I enjoy spending time with him. He's fun. He just he's as subtle as a kick in the groin, and uh, you know, gets uh, gets uh, he gets you and you get him, and it's just good good time together. Uh, have no problem with uh, with Ted. I know a lot of people don't like him. Uh, he can be as profane and, uh, like I say, that cat scratch fever just doesn't do much for me. <laughs> I had uh, gone to a show in St. Louis, and this is probably 20-some years ago, and uh, Ted was there, and Ted was doing uh, headline seminars, and they advertised it real big that Ted was going to be there, and I was working there for the weekend and they shut that show down the first night like eight times because of bomb threats from anti-hunters. Oh, yeah. And then eventually they just told everybody there's bomb threats and we're not shutting down if you're just going to have to deal with them because we're not going to evacuate the place every time they do it, you know. And, right, right. But it was all because of him. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. He, he's, uh, he's a character and a neat guy and we get along. We get along just fine. Yeah, his uh, seminar... I went, I went and watched one of his seminars when the show was slow and his seminar wasn't on hunting. It was on how much he hated the state of Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I can relate. I'm from Illinois. So. Yeah. Uh, uh, he's a, uh, he's a character. He's a character. Yeah. When, one quick, you ask about someone special. Yep. 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 Uh, Will Jimeno and his sergeant, were the two Port Authority police officers who were pulled alive from the rubble of the World Trade Center when it collapsed. And they made a movie about it. And Will was a bow hunter. And during rehab, he was severely injured. His legs were messed up. And while he was in rehab, he contacted me and we became friends. And when they did the movie, uh, Nicholas Cage played Sarge, Will Sargent, and a kid from, uh, I can't think of his name, an actor from Chicago, played Will. And if you ever get a chance to see World Trade Center, it's, Will is just one of the nicest guys. And it almost, of course, killed him and Sarge both. 
But uh, I did a story called From the Rubble and wrote it for Bow Hunter. And it turned out that uh, when they did the movie, I had interviewed Will. He contacted me and I'd interviewed him and Sarge at length and had all the dialogue and everything that they'd spent when they were trapped underneath all the rubble waiting to be rescued. And uh, anyway, the, the movie, when it came out, it was uh, Paramount Pictures, and I had done that story, and Will sent me pictures. He was an advisor on the film, and here are these actors and director, Oliver Stone was the director, and here they're walking around with copies of Bowhunter magazine and that story that I'd, I'd written. And they used that as the, I guess, the verbatim dialogue that uh, Will said this is what happened and this is the way it was written. And anyway, Paramount flew Janet and me back for the world premiere in New York City. And here we are with all these Hollywood celebrities and we're come up to this big theater and we get out of the limousine and the crowd's going wild and we're waving and they don't have a clue who we are, but we got it all. <laughs> uh, it was fun. And Will, he just, he, he's one of the nicest guys. He'd never killed a big buck. And I took him to a hot spot of mine in Colorado and he killed a, uh, his first Pope and young buck out there. Uh, he was, unable to get in a tree stand so we built a ground blind for him and he killed a heck of a nice buck and then i was on a tour and was speaking in uh, wilkes-barre pennsylvania and he drove up from new jersey and brought that buck and i scored it and entered it in the record book for him but he is one of the nicest guys and uh just just super nicholas cage and i talked about if you can believe it Instead of acting, we talked about archery and bow hunting. He likes to shoot a bow. He's, he asked mm. me if I'd seen that movie where he shot, and I said, yeah, you look like you know what you're doing. And, uh, so we got along a little bit. But uh, just things like that have, have made my life uh, something that I just couldn't ever believe would happen to this kid from Illinois. So anyway, sorry for rambling on. Oh, that's no. an awesome story. Yeah, um, I was going to tell you too. I we were talking about Marv Clinky, and I'm I'm 99 sure that's who Tom was talking about. Um, Marv was he works construction, right? Didn't he have his own construction business or something like that? Uh, he uh, he did a number of of, of things. Uh, I don't know construction, but uh, I just got to know him so well through the Colorado Bow Hunters and. I don't know how many times I've talked to that group out there and I've hunted yeah. with Marv a number of times and uh, he yeah. and Judy, she's a heck of a bow hunter herself and his boys yeah. are both bow hunters and just good, good people. Yeah. Um, I was want to tell you, they, I was just a story about Marv. I heard while I was at that, uh, uh, a recent story about him. Uh, you know how they had those fires out in Colorado uh, right. this year and it was, mm -hmm they mm -hmm. it, it came upon marv's neighborhood right and i i guess uh they said the the fire department there wasn't gonna do much about it and it was right. coming maybe you heard this story already but it'd come up onto the neighbor's house and stuff 
And I guess Marb said, forget the firefighters. And he went and got a skid loader. Cause I think he's a construction, he does construction stuff. He went and got a skid loader. And I guess he, I guess he put out that fire around that, the neighbor's house and his house and everybody down the road and everything. Cause nobody else would. Yeah. They were too, too dangerous uh, or something. So that the kind of, that's the kind of guy he is. That, that's exactly right. And just so for your own information, uh, Marv, I did a story about that fire and it's going to be featured in the next bow hunter magazine, uh, telling about Marv and his sons fighting all night to save their, their farm and the yep. place next to it. And just, you talk about Marv, uh, telling me about it blow by blow and then i got to write the story and it'll be out for everybody can check it out and, and okay, it. so it, it's 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 typical clinky i mean yeah. just super guy yeah yeah, yeah. i've heard I, I know a few people that know him pretty well and he's uh yeah i've heard good things about him and uh mm -hmm. yeah super cool cool guy so you a lot of people don't may not know but you live down here in southern indiana not too far from from where i live and it sounds like Back in the, what, you said 2008, maybe? You bought the farm, or 2009, or? I bought it in uh, 2006, and we built the house and finished it in 2009, yeah. Okay. Uh, you, you got a pretty cool setup there. I, I didn't didn't know if you'd want to tell us a story about a buck you killed on, on the farm, um, or how, how it's set up at your, your place, or how you go about killing your bucks on your farm. <laughs> well, I killed the first one from a tree stand. Uh, we've got a back pond for the animals. It's a year-round water source. And I killed the first buck. This was in, uh, I don't remember what year. We've been here year. I think it was the second year we lived here. But uh, I have food plots. I've got a sanctuary, about 30-acre sanctuary area that uh, we don't shoot any guns on the place. It's 100% bow hunting only. And I'm in the woods every day with cameras. And the big, big bucks are big bucks. But the does and the fawns, and I love taking pictures of them. And mm -hmm. they know I'm not going to hurt them. Right. And so I spend at least an hour to two hours every day in the woods. I get up before I eat, before I do anything, I go to the woods with my dog and uh, take pictures of deer and make them happy. Uh, <laughs> try to make sure they got the mineral supplements. I've seen a big improvement in the quality of the antlers over the years and uh, i've done everything that i can talking to the nutritionists and uh, trying to make a good place even better we've always had good genes here but uh, the minerals make make a big difference and so i that's that's my passion that's well one of my passions yeah yeah <laughs> yeah you, uh, the deer you shot with your recurve bow, uh, what time of year did you shoot that? Was that in a, a rut, a rut deer or? Yeah, I killed it. Uh, I think it was two days before Christmas, uh, two years ago. Oh, okay. And so it was almost late, late season almost. Yeah. And, uh, let me, uh, I'm going to try to, no, that didn't work. Wait a minute. 
I'm gonna share my screen here. See if I can. I'll show everybody the. Um, one second. That's the that's the deer, isn't it, Mr. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the deer you shot with your your friend, uh, your dentist um, friend. Recurve, yeah, with your mm -hmm. recurve. Yeah. So, can you tell us about that hunt? Well, there were two bucks, both of them nice. This was one, and the other one was comparable. And I had made up my mind I was going to shoot either one. And this guy, I had a ground blind set up along a, a well-used travel pattern uh, trail, and he uh, came wandering along one day and uh, walked down and made the mistake of turning broadside about uh, 15 yards. And I can hit him with a recurve at 15 yards sometimes. And yeah. He... Uh, <laughs> He didn't go that far, and I just, it was so special because of Chuck and his, yeah. his, his bow and his family. I mean, they, they just were ecstatic over the fact I'd, I'd done that. I wrote a story about it for uh, uh, Bowhunter Magazine, and it got a ton of good feedback, and uh, it just, it was one of those from-the-heart stories. And uh, I couldn't have written it better if it were fiction, and it, it certainly wasn't fiction. And uh, just the good Lord was looking out for me and uh, made that uh, made that happen. Yeah, for sure. You got a you got a cool place. I'm gonna have to come. You, you invited me to come and check it out. Yeah, um, I, 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 you know, you and Dan, welcome down here anytime. I uh, show you around. Uh, I'll uh, uh, I've got this one. Big old buck. He weighs about six hundred pounds, and uh, <laughs> put a saddle on him, and I'll let you guys ride him if you want to. No oh, one's been able to stay on six seconds, but uh, maybe you could. I'll get some video footage. You can use that as part of your show. Yeah, Danny Mar has the the he has the six hundred pound slob, not the right, four hundred right. pound. <laughs> He's got to beat me. Dan, there. Dan shot one. He called the six the four hundred pound slob. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like you got him beat there. We put it on a 300 pound scale and it bottomed it out. Yeah. We don't know what it weighed. I, I probably should have had it weighed after that, but the thing was just a, a mutant. It was like the fat kid in school when we we're <laughs> in high school. Well, I'm using a little hyperbole here. I don't think he weighs uh, maybe 250. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You guys up in Wisconsin have uh, a lot of bigger bodied deer, but tell you what, like the that buck I shot last year in Wisconsin, it, it was. I don't know if it was if it had some problems or what, but it weighed like 160, mm -hmm. and it it was ended up being a three year old. Uh, but even then, it was that's kind of small, I guess. Back that I killed there. last year, they I took it to a, a processing plant not far away, and they said it was uh, one of the biggest bodied deer that they had all year. So we've got we've got the genes here and uh, got some real bruisers. Yeah. Yeah. Indiana is, well, it's, it is a little bit of a, a hidden gem for deer hunting. I hate to say that on a live show, but there's a, um, we have a, we're, we're pretty lucky right here. Mm -hmm. Um, got, got a mixture of, of some good stuff down here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, well, we, we've been on here for 
over over an hour now, Mr. I don't want to I don't want to keep you any longer and uh, eat up your whole evening. No so, problem. Uh, yeah, yeah. Managed to stay awake, so you guys. Yeah, I know, I know. I hear you. <laughs> well, everybody, if uh, if you haven't followed Mr. on uh, on Facebook, I know Mr. is probably not looking for a bunch of uh, accolades or anything, but uh, go follow him on Facebook. It's pretty cool to to follow along with his day to day deer activities on his farm. Um, Mr. We really appreciate it. My Hopping pleasure, on. guys. It's a. Uh, I'll. I'll uh, I'll probably be hitting you up sometime to go down there and you see do your that. farm. <laughs> you and Dan, I like will. Say, you're welcome. Come on down and I'll uh, show you around. Yeah, I'd love yep. to meet you face to face. That'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Love to see your place too. I'm sure there's all kinds of stories we didn't hear inside your house. Well, good luck. Good hunting this year, guys. Thanks for coming. Right. On. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Yep. Thanks, MR. Mm -hmm. That was pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Yeah. We're still live, by the way, Dan. Yeah, you gonna take some questions or anything? Well, I didn't have any. Oh, okay. Um, I asked a couple times in the comments here. Um, does anybody have anything for Dan? I'll, we're, me and Dan will chit chat for a little bit longer here. If, if anybody has any questions, um, there were some. There's some questions people asking about the Pope and Young stuff, but it, they all got answered in the comments. Just people asking about prices and stuff like that. I didn't think Mr. Would need to answer that per se. Um, but cool guy, huh? Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you too. Uh, I saw on a, I was going to ask you earlier, I completely forgot cause I was, didn't want MR waiting around on us too long, but you're, uh, I saw you had some of those new, uh, those new boots. Oh, gum leaf um, boots. Yeah. Your gum leaf boots. Yeah. How do you like those? I'm liking them a lot. Um, I uh, tried them out for a couple of weeks. Um, they're real good fit. Um, when I ordered them, the owner called me and he actually, he wanted my calf measurements and everything. And, and uh, they fit like a glove. Now I actually like the, uh, the cheapest ones he has. He's got one called the Royal zip. That is the most popular one. I don't like zippers and buckles and stuff personally, Yeah. Uh, but he had one that you just pull on and it was uh, knee high. And literally every boot I've ever gotten, it's just right at the level where the water goes over the top of it, mm -hmm. you know, but you, if you could just get a couple more inches and I got that out of these, um, they go right up to my knee and they wrap around my calf and fit real well. And they're made out of real rubber where, um, the Chinese boots are made out of half plastic now. And that's why mm -hmm. the old boots, like the old lacrosse used to be good before he went to China because they used to be real rubber too. Now, now this guy is still making rubber ones that are quality, you know, last a long time where they're not the half plastic, like a plastic right. rubber mix that cracks. But yeah. uh, he, uh, he called me up and uh, we worked out a, a little bit of a deal and um, he's going to give uh, beast members 10% off if they uh, use the code beast, if they're interested in his boots. Oh, um, good deal. You know, um, I don't want anybody to take it like I'm like, like I hate tied we or anything like that. It has nothing to yeah. do with that. I just preferred this boot over theirs and uh, decided to use this boot. So I ordered a pair of them um, at the end of last year and they are, they're super nice. And I got the one, I didn't order the expensive ones either. I ordered the, they're just green. Um, man, the, I think it's just called like the field boot or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but mine's the Saxon. 
the Saxon is the one I got. Maybe that's what it's called. Um, yeah, I think they're they're worth it, and they they also you know the the company's very um, they respond quickly to you know if you have a problem with them or anything like that they're they're more than well more than happy to fix them and all that kind of stuff. It's not like a it's not like going and buying a pair of muck or whatever boots from Cabela's and then you never you know you're just out of luck if they they break or something. But um, maybe you can put that uh, beast code in the uh, uh, title description or something. Yeah, I will. I will uh, look. Yep. It's just going to be beast. Yep. Just beast. Mm -hmm. That's easy enough. Um, Yeah. That's a good deal. I go through boots like it's underwear. I mean, it's, it's insane. It's nice to find something. I mean, I don't mind paying a boot that lasts twice as long because I go through a pair of boots every, every season now since they started. Oh, yeah. Easy. So getting a better quality boot is, is better for me because I hate, Mid-season now, I'm trying to order a pair of boots or find a pair of boots because my boots are leaking or whatever. So I'd rather just get a good pair and, you know. Yeah, I went through two. I went through two pairs last year. It was uh, it was rough. You, you get a pair that doesn't fit right too, like if they're just generic sized. Um, yeah, it hurts your feet and stuff after a while. I mean, especially if you like, uh, you know, like I'll rubber boots when I go on a hunt, and sometimes I'm in swamp and sometimes I'm in hills and hills, man, they'll kill your feet in those rubber boots if they don't fit right yeah i like mine um i'll probably get another pair at some point in time just to have a, a backup or for when i'm a hunt and they get wet or whatever the case may be but um there is some questions coming in for dan now <laughs> uh what facial hair is dan learning leaning towards this season <laughs> I don't know. Maybe bring the goatee back with the little white balls down here i like that maybe i'll do that you- one you do like your appearance changes like every quarter. I think Dan has a different uh, hairstyle or a different. Uh, I don't know. It'd be like next week you'll show up and you'll have a big handlebar mustache or something. It's like how did that come come about? You know, uh, uh, Carol was giving me some crap. She says uh, uh, I push to the limit with all that stuff I do and and stuff. And I said no, no, no. I said I think I'm gonna get a mustache. Right, I'm gonna shave it like and leave this little section right here. Yeah. Like Hitler? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Just to drive her nuts, and she was going crazy about that. She thought I was I actually going to do it. I actually I shaved one and left it on there and came downstairs yeah. and made believe I was going to leave it like that. And she was, like, going mental. Everybody's going to hate us. I'm like, oh, no, no. They already do. do. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the rumors will just be confirmed now. Uh, the uh, My buddy Gary isn't – I don't think he's on. Or I haven't seen him comment. He may be on, but – uh, he's always he's always talking about this dang circle beard he has he sees online. It's like like people come up and make like a big circle around their face right here with their their beard. I think he'd lose his mind if you shaved that into your your beard. Um. Oh, we got a call in here. All right. I think this is Moby Mike. Let's see here. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Mo- hey man. No, I got to figure something out with the audio. I'm getting. Oh, we got a call in here. Right. Just uh, whatever. If you're watching two screens, oh, Moby, fine. there just shoot, just turn off the one that you're not on with. Hey, uh, going? Hey, man. Just just mute it. I got to figure out this audio. It's just uh, whatever. If you're watching, two screens, <laughs> there, just, shoot, just turn off the one that you're not on with. Hey, hey, you hear me? Yeah, I can I can hear you, but I don't. Got to figure out this audio. It's... You 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 must have two screens open, man. Yeah, I do. So you, so just close the one that you're not talking to us on. 
you hear me? Yeah, how's yeah, that? I can hear you, but I don't know. You, still, you, still you doing it, man. Just go ahead. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah, suffer through it. We just close the one that you're not talking to us on. Can you hear me? Yeah. How's yeah, that? I can hear you, but I don't know. All right, man. It's like sci-fi. Uh, yeah, it sounds like that, huh? Yeah. Whenever you call in, you have to close down. You know, you can't have two two uh, screens open, or else you're just going to get feedback like Moby Mike was doing there. Sorry about that, man. Um, if you figure it out, you can sure call back in. Um, so Buck Slayer asked, do any of us carry first aid kits around with us? He was bringing you, you us up because of our story. I should. Um, last year, um, when we were gun hunting, um, Rick uh, stepped on a twig and it went through his foot. <laughs> Why are we laughing about foot? that? Um <laughs> and and I, actually, he was bleeding pretty bad. Uh, he was leaving a blood trail. Um, oh shoot! Yeah, I mean, we didn't get a femoral artery story or anything, but no, no, no. But, uh, no we took a dude off, and he's bleeding pretty bad. And uh, Rob, one of our friends, had a first aid kit and took care of it. Luckily, he split. And I used to carry one with me, but uh, I ran into a situation where someone needed one more than me, and I gave him mine. But I should pick up another one and just keep it in my truck, not just for hunting, but just to have it in my truck available when I need it. I'm not going to carry it with me hunting. Rob does. He has a small one he straps on, but I got enough crap with me. But yeah. uh, to have one in my truck for an emergency is probably a good thing. I do have first aid training. Um, I was a first responder for uh, many years. I hated it. I just hated it. But somebody had to do the job at work, and uh, a lot of people got injured, and nobody else would do it. So I volunteered and did it. And at some point, uh, when some other people got involved, I stepped down. Um, but I did get a lot of training out of that. Um, so I know how to deal with most situations, but I just don't like to. Um, but I should have a first aid kit. How about you? So mine's like bare minimum. Like I'll, <clears throat> I keep that bino harness little thing on me, keep some binos in it. And there's like a, 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 a zipper pocket in the back of them. And I'll, mm -hmm. in there, I keep a like enough to where if I like if I'd cut my finger real bad, I could essentially I just keep some uh, like medical tape. It's called Luco tape, and then mm -hmm. um, some bandit like some a gauze pad. That's all I keep. And it's more or less just like if I cut myself bad, I can tape it up and wait till I'm done hunting, so I don't ruin the hunt because of it. So, I mean, it's literally like you know, it, it's the size of maybe you know, it's like this big and then real super thin, so it doesn't really take up any room, but. I just put that in there for um, just in case things. Cause I have, I have cut myself on a broadhead and, and like crap, I need to go take care of this. And all of a sudden then you're, there goes your hunt, you know? Um, I think if anybody's like worried about it, they probably just go ahead and carry something. You don't have to be much. Um, something else, I guess that like people I've talked to, especially out West that carry them because they're in places like MR is where you're not getting to a hospital or anything right away is you gotta, you can carry one, but you need to also know, you know, what the hell you're doing with the stuff. You can't, if you don't know how to use a tourniquet kit, there's no reason to have one, you know? So if that stuff is you're thinking about using, you might as well try to, you know, learn how to use that stuff. Um, I always think I should have one in bear camp because we're so remote. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what really made me think last time in bear camp. I mean, uh, man, we, just getting out of there where, where I hunt for bears. You can't just call nine one one. 
I mean, number one, we don't have phone reception. Number two, the nearest hospital is, I don't know how far it is. They'd have to take a helicopter back there to get you. So you're really on your own. So you're dependent on the guys you're with. So in that case, you do need some sort of uh, kit or knowledge. Yeah. Well, Moby popped back on and he popped back off. So I don't know if he must not figured it out, but I was getting ready to let him in. And he, he uh, mm. um, okay. There's more questions for you, Dan. Just uh, hold on here. All right. Um, you recently posted on Facebook how in 2017, you kept a journal of every hunt. Um, it was very detailed. Uh, um, and he said, I was curious if there was something you specifically learned that year from that journal you kept. Yeah, I, I, that's why I posted it because I really found it interesting. Uh, um, at the same time that I finished that journal, like the end of the season, mm-hmm. there's a lot of debating that year about scent control. Mm. So I went back and looked at the journal and, and wanted to know, well, okay, how much did scent control or the lack of affect my hunt? Because I had guys telling me now I'm using scent control and, and I've hunted this many days and I had this many times I got winded, which is a lot less than what I should have. I had deer downwind of me and I thought, you know, I had deer downwind of me and they didn't win me. I remember dropping milkweed and it hit deer, you know, and um, so I went back and I checked my journal and I'm not saying the deer didn't win me downwind. Maybe they didn't. Maybe the current was just off. You know what I'm saying? But the wind yep. was generally blowing at them or whatever. Um, some reacted, some didn't. But I had all that in that journal. So then I compiled the numbers. And I remember when I posted that on the website, and you can probably find it if you if you search on the, on the website, the very first post that I did of that in 2017. Um, there were a lot of guys who said, um, they thought they were really getting away with something with scent control. But when they compared it, it wasn't much different than what had happened with me. Um, mm, pretty interesting. Much so that was my learning point with that. Um, honestly, I already had it in my mind that, you know, I've tried scent control. I've tried not scent control. And I know scent control is bogus. But seeing the numbers and seeing how it compared to people who did scent control, was the eye-opening thing where I actually seen some confirming evidence, basically, you know. Yeah. So that's why I posted that to share it. Yeah, I think, I think uh, that's something I need to do a better job at is journaling my. I mean, I video everything, so I got that a little bit, but you know, you know, that's that's only. I'm bad so at it I, too. I was I was journaling to keep it on online for an education tool for people doing a day-to-day journal. I learn a lot from journaling. Um, like specifically when I go back, I find that uh, my memory is less accurate than what I wrote. Oh yeah. I'll remember something. When I go back, the date might be off like 30 days where I'm thinking, okay, you know, like uh, this was mid October and I find out it was like late October, which is hugely different based on rut and stuff. Right. Or I'll find out, you know, what I remembered isn't really true. So those journals uh, really helped me in in remembering every little detail of a hunt. Um, so I like to do it. It's just hard. I mean, because I got so much stuff going with like podcasts, it's, radio it's shows, writing, uh, running three businesses. I mean, it's it's tough for me to find time. But I really like posting it for the people reading it. But the trouble was when I was posting them publicly, um, I got a lot of stalking because of it, honestly. Mm. Um 
I still like to do it and I, and I put up with the stalkers, but it was just, it was, um, really putting a, uh, harmful effect on my hunting. Yep. And you just, someone asked if you're journaling in the stand, you're probably just doing it when you get home or something, right? Home, yeah. When I'm in yeah. the stand, I'm not and hunting. That's what I, there's been almost every year I like start off the season. Like I'm going to write down everything and every hunt. And then of course I hunt every day. So after a while, you're just like, I don't feel like doing this tonight. I didn't see anything or whatever, you know, it's like, then you don't do it for a couple of days. And all of a sudden it's like, then you just don't do it the rest of the year. But well, even, even when you don't see something, it's good to know because if yeah, you go for back sure. over five years and you think you hunted a stand twice and you find out you hunted it seven times and you haven't seen a thing yet, you need to yeah. change up your times when you're going in there or say, okay, this one time I saw something, but yeah. look, that's out of the norm from the other times that I hunted. That was in September where I usually hunt that in rut. Then maybe you mm -hmm. try earlier. You know what I mean? And you'll mm -hmm. forget those things, period. Yep, for sure. Okay, Moby's back on. We're going to try this again. All right. All right, I think I got to figure it out. All right, yeah, sounds, sounds good now. <laughs> All right, so uh, so I'll just run you through this scenario and uh, let me know what you think. So, like, last year I, I glassed a buck in the morning on, like, June 27th and kind of got my attention. Pretty nice buck and had a – you know, his frame pretty filled out and looked like he was going to grow some junk. And I watched him come off some private on the public to bed at like seven in the morning, uh, threw a camera up on a, on a rainy day to try and just watch him there, you know, to see if he stuck around till early season, long story short, uh, squirrel, the very first day jumped on that camera, tipped it down, never got any Intel, kind of forgot about the buck. Got on another buck on a different uh, marsh, shot it fairly early, like October 18th. And then uh, was kind of bored one night and I was going out glassing and the wife happened to come with me, which she never does. And like October 26th, we glassed this buck on uh, some private land, eh, half to three quarters of a mile away from this public, you know. And he, he exploded from when I seen him uh, June 27th, grew a lot of trash on him. And stood there by the road. We watched him really well. And I was like, holy crap, that was a buck I seen in June. And my wife's like, yeah, wow, that's a nice buck. Anyway, um, I got to thinking, I'm like, well, if he was going to come off his private and check this public for does, where would he go? And I I, I kind of thought about it. And then I had uh, I had some time on, because I had a bunch of time off for bow hunting, but I already killed my buck. And November 1st, I decided to watch this area where I thought he would cross. And it was right by a parking area. And there was two trucks there. And sure as shit, November 1st, he walked 50 yards from these two trucks onto the public land. And so I came back this winter. I kind of scouted where I watched him go in there this summer. And, you know, I didn't see much. But then I watched where he came in, like, uh, November 1st by these trucks. And it's an older clear cut. And he actually kind of looked like he was kind of hugging the road back there. And uh, towards, you know, there's some other activity on the other side of the public there but he was it just looks like an area where a person wouldn't hunt and there's you know a big doe bedding area in there and he was bedding in there and anyway you know i picked out a tree like for that and i picked out a tree if he does stay around early season in september where he was kind of crossing there um anyway so that's been my scouting and so i guess my current plan is like you know i got a a spot maybe to catch him early season if he's still been on the public early and then i kind of got a spot where i think like you know maybe the early part of rut he's you know looking for does that he doesn't have on the public and swinging in our day that he doesn't have on the private and he's swinging in onto the 
public there. Um, just curious on maybe anything else I should look at or try and pin down more on it, but that's what I got on him. Uh, I think you got a pretty solid plan. Um, where plans like that go awry is when a guy uh, jumps in before the timing is right, you know? Right. And, and you sent the area up because the buck will probably be going through there periodically before the timing is right. You know what I'm saying? Right. If he comes through and smells that you were there a week ago, it might bug him a little bit and he keeps coming in late. And you know what I'm saying? Right. If you wait for the right timing to go in there and, and hunt them. Uh, so my, my question is, um, you know, obviously I'm going to do some glass in the summer and, yep. um, but say like that early season spot that I kind of picked out, I only seen him cross there once, but uh, I I found uh, one just rub that wasn't super awesome, but it was it was really high and it had extra marks. You know, it, it had to be that buck from that early season spot, but otherwise there wasn't much you know sign in in that area. I'm just curious. If it's on a that, I area, just I would be putting a, a cell cam in there. If you that's could. what I was wondering, you think I should put a cell cam in there, or that put too much pressure on there? I, I think you're on this bedding area. Um, if you got a cell cam and you you set it up with you know good long lasting batteries and you stay out of there otherwise, yeah, at least you get some timing and you get the timing until now, um, so that you can use it, you know, this season when you're hunting them, right. Um, and I, you know, other than that, I would glass a lot. Yep. And I would try to pick up on when he's using that stuff and not going in until it's time to go in. Right. So maybe slip in, get the camera set up, and get out. Right. You use a regular camera, and you got to go in there and check it all the time. Yeah, I got a couple cell cams, and I can throw them up in July or whatever with good lithium batteries and just let them sit. You know. When did your season start? I'm in Wisconsin. Okay. So yeah, um, or August. You know. Just to yeah. get good lasting out of them, but I would, right. you know, no later than mid-August, you know. But right. uh, yeah, and keep glassing it. Um, and I'd glass more than that. I mean, what what I do is when I find a buck like that, I got this wide girth when I'm looking in the summer. I'm right. searching for bucks. When I find bucks, I start narrowing that girth, and it's, I'm not just watching the spot where I saw him crossed. You know, I'm looking all over that area. And trying to get all different kind of scenarios of where he might be, and one glimpse can be what you need because I don't think those big bucks do anything on accident. You right. see them in a spot; it's for a reason. Now it's just a matter of if he replicates it during hunting season, you know. But if you go, you, you know, and they're kind of like people too. If you think about it, when you go through the woods, you go through a wood lot. Think about how you pass through it. Just about always, when you walk through the same section of woods that you you walk through when it's a pass through area, you take the same trail. Right. But other people don't necessarily do that. They might go through in a different way, especially if there's no trail, right? Right. But you always got that same way you go through usually. Well, deer are the same way. I mean, they go through an area that they got their way of going through it. So you learn a little bit every time you see something, you know? Right. And where I'd seen that buck cross into that public in uh, early November, I, you know, I lost sight of him once he got in there. And I, I kind of had in my mind thinking where he went and stuff, you know? And then after I went and uh, scouted it this spring, I was like, well, duh, he didn't go that way. That's where all the hunters go. And he was sneaking right along along the road to get up to that doe bedding. And, uh, I mean, it made made a lot of sense he was going that way, but he was just, just exposing himself a little bit right by that parking lot there where I could see him coming off the private there. So, 
with that uh maybe with that cell camera if you want to put it up now you can just put the delay on like 20 a lot of them you can put them on like 22 hours or something like that to where there's not taking any pictures that way you're not soaking batteries up yeah um, and i mean it's not terrible far from my house so i mean i can i can get her set up yeah. anytime so yeah yeah, yeah yeah cool man hey uh i was going to do a giveaway this for whoever called in and this is one of mr's books um that'd be sweet you, you want it man you're one of the caller in so um mr's written quite a few books and this is one of his uh, latest ones and i wanted to give it to oh. someone who participated so man did that guy have some great stories you know almost bring a tear to your eye just uh just the good old old time hunting stories like you know you hear mm. from your grandpa or something like that just uh it was awesome to listen to him yeah, he's in his 80s he's still hanging his own tree stands right yeah i hope to do Says that he, when i'm that age yeah he told us he, he uh before the show he didn't like waiting on other people to do it for him so he just does it himself <laughs> that's uh, great yeah cool guy super uh super blessed to be able to talk to him even you know just probably not that many more conversations you know with guys like that yeah some um, of the younger guys might not know who he is but that guy's an icon oh yeah yeah um uh, anyway uh one more question so your your end of your handle there's guide do you do some guiding or something or no i used i used oh. to fish i used to fish like you wouldn't believe like gotcha I mean, okay. every every day and people always joked about me becoming a a guide and i never did and kid drew a picture of me at work holding up a whale and called me moby mike and it it kind of stuck so i made an email because i was i was just about <laughs> to pull the trigger on becoming a musky guide or whatever and then uh gotcha. yeah never 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 ended up and then my hunting kind of suffered then, and now I don't hardly fish, and now's all I do is bow hunt. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, I was going to let you plug your guide service, but uh, never mind. No. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, uh, send me shoot, send me a message on Facebook or something, and and uh, I'll I'll send you this book. Just give me your address. Hey, we'll do that'd be great. Yeah. All right, man. If uh, if you're all good, we're all good. I'll I'll uh, I'll kick you off here. Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for coming on. All right. Um, there was one more question. I forgot it. Uh, sitting here talking to Mike. One second. Okay. We'll just, we'll end on this one, guys. It's starting to get, we got an hour and a half here. All right. What can a guy do right now if he has no leads on bucks? I'm guessing this guy's, uh, this guy's spring scouting didn't go so well. Well, um, getting um... pointers. I just located one a couple of days ago. That's a pretty good buck. You can already tell. I can't tell exactly what he's going to be, but he's wider than his ears already. So I have to say that it's going to be a good one. So you can get out and you can do some glass, and they're moving around quite a bit, even in daylight. So that would be my point right now. And you can study maps. You can look at new uh, public properties and uh, you know map them out, that kind of thing. You can start looking around for places to glass. I think by the um, the end of this next month, you should be pretty serious about glassing up some bucks. Yeah. Um, we actually did a whole podcast last week on summertime scouting and finding bucks in the summertime. Mm -hmm. So that'd probably be a good one uh, for you to go back and, and listen to. Um, man, there's, I mean, you know, spring scouting gets you in the area, but from now until really the moment you step in the woods to go hunting is, you know, whenever you, a lot of times that's whenever you kill your bucks is making adjustments during season and stuff. So 
don't give up just because you're not on one right now. It's freaking early still. So <laughs> um, you'll find one, man. All right. Someone's asking me to stall, stay and pee. I'm not sure why, but um, we're going to have to get off your stand. So, so whatever you're stalling for, just keep stalling until next week. Um, everybody, thanks for uh, coming on. And, and uh, if you didn't subscribe while you're listening here, most, most people that watch the shows aren't subscribed. So make sure you subscribe to the channel and we'll, uh, I'll keep doing these little giveaways when people call in and stuff. Maybe not every week, um, but uh, I'll try to do them as often as I, I can. So thanks for everybody that watched everybody that's been loyal to since day one, I see these same names come up on the chats and the chats are so fun. It's like a whole, there's like a whole board going on in the, in the, uh, in the chats, a separate conversations and everything else. I don't know how, how much people pay attention to us, Dan. It's just people talking to each other in the chats, but, um, I think, uh, I think we'll wrap her up now and, uh, I appreciate everybody, uh, getting on again this week. We'll see you guys next Thursday.